Barbie crossed the billion do- Barbie crossed the billion dollar threshold at the worldwide box office, becoming the 53rd movie to do so. And my boy Richard Brody tweeted out that it is also the best billion dollar movie ever. So Art, I want to ask you, is Barbie the best movie to cross a billion dollars at the box office worldwide? There's been a lot of good ones. There's been uh, a couple of good ones. Zoom in there. Do you get a, the names up a little closer? Yeah, you got yeah, your avatars, you got your Star Wars sequels, a lot of MCU movies. There's Jurassic World, and that's the new Lion King, not the old Lion King, because I, I saw that and I did a double take, but uh, it, it's not what I would consider to be the best billion-dollar movie. I got a quick top five for you if you want me to start it off. Shoot. All right, so in the number five slot... I don't know if you're more of an Endgame person or an Infinity War person. Right now, I'm going to lean Infinity War. I mean, that was a great uh, movie theater experience. I got that at five. Uh, Number four was the movie that reminded us all that we love theaters again, Top Gun Maverick. I personally got Barbie at number three. Surprised to see that it's already the 25th highest grossing film of all time. Over Minions? And still going strong. Uh, my number two was the first billion-dollar superhero film, uh, Christopher Nolan's own *The Dark Knight*, which you know, huge juggernaut when it was first uh, released, but all the way down at number fifty-two. Now I'm surprised. Inflation, to see. bro. Inflation, inflation. <laughs> uh, no eight movie there. But I think you'd agree with me that it's got to be *Toy Story 3*. How is that not the Toy best billion-dollar movie? One. Yeah, I would. I don't think it pulls at the heartstrings the way that Toy Story three can over a decade later. Um, I think. I think it will have as much influence. A lot of people don't want to hear this as a Dark Knight. Whereas Dark Knight came in, as we talked in our spoiler uh, review, that changed everything to grim and dark, and everybody was like, you know, just turning everything into being this massive. Uh, just look at the the grittiness of whatever story you can take i think barbie's going to be the flip of that and now everyone's going to want to do something very bright they're going to really embrace like you know having talents again main actors as the stars playing something else uh so i i can see the influence being there uh a top five contender for sure it's too many billion dollar movies to make a number one <laughs> you know no love for titanic or you maybe need to give some love to oh, avatar I mean, james cameron I'd you put know. Titanic over a lot of the Marvel movies, yeah. Good. I think a lot of people would agree with you there. Let us know what you think is the best billion-dollar movie. But uh, welcome back to Weekend Must Watch, our weekly look at the latest in TV, movies, and entertainment that you can't cut away from. I'm Zachary Shevich, and in his country, they call him Dracula. But he's Arturo Zurita. Uh, let's get into the movies, man. Do you want to talk a little bit about Gran Turismo, the, the first of our slate of uh, movies you can check out in the theater? Yeah, we're, we have a couple this week because we're also kind of combining what is going to be this delayed Gran Turismo. It's like Gran Turismo isn't out, but at the same time, it's been out like everywhere. If you have Adobe, <laughs> yeah. if you have an AMC investor, whatever. So Gran Turismo is out. Uh, we're going to be getting into that Dracula one that Zach had mentioned in The Last Voyage of the Demeter. Uh, an interesting movie that decided to come out of nowhere in August. If you wanted to stay at home, there is going to be Heart of Stone that we're going to be discussing. Uh, if you stayed at home last week like we did... 
there is also the Meg 2, which we kind of went splitsies on as well. <laughs> but then there's probably the biggest one that I did not expect. A movie that came out of nowhere. Zach's like, yeah, we got to make sure this gets on the radar right at the end. Primes, Red, White, and Royal Blue. Mm-hmm. But let's start with the other one, like Zach said. Gran Turismo. What is Neil Blomkamp doing? <laughs> I don't know, and he's the one of the last people I would have expected uh, showing up in in this kind of movie. You know, we're used to seeing him more in the sci-fi realm between uh, District Nine and and Chappie and Elysium. Chappie and his, made more sense. <laughs> his failed Alien movie that I, I don't know. Some of the sketches looked kind of cool. I, I'm not a huge. Uh, I'm not a huge, like, oh, Neil Blomkamp lost his chance guy, but some people are out there. My last uh, recollection of Neil Blomkamp movies was hip, uh, what was it? Um, oh, shoot, what's the demonic one? Was it demon- literally called demonic? Demonic. I think, I think it may be demonic. <laughs> yeah, geez. Um, I, while there were some cool ideas out there, the execution is really, really lacking. Uh, so he gets another shot at a big budget, with the IP-focused Gran Turismo. What did you think of this one? Uh, Is this a a video game that deserves the big screen adaptation or should have stayed on PlayStation? Uh, I've never really gone into a lot of the racing games like Gran Turismo, but I figured every year or so we're going to be getting like the Need for Speed or some other racing game because there can't be that many Fast and Furious movies. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I know that we're at that point where it's like the curse has been broken, uh, I, I still think there are remnants of the curse within here. I don't think it is a <laughs> terrible movie in terms of what it's trying to be, right? Because there's no reason this is here. We, You and I keep joking about this being Gran Turismo based on a true story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is like the most fabricated version of this true story to a degree. Yeah. Uh, I was reading into it. That's like for a whole spoiler talk. But uh, when you take those based on true elements, I think it makes the movie worse. Yet it's something that they're really trying to rely on because of how insane the story is of mm-hmm. a dude who played video games. Now racing like this man's doing the premium run or the uh, the rush races. He's he's out there doing the 24 hour stunts. But uh the cast to me is all over the place. I think there are performances in here that feel very cartoony while at the same time that kind of being the point for a video game movie. Um, I thought some of the racing scenes were pretty cool. I think the best thing that the movie has going for it is the sound design and it does Mm -hmm. have that 12-track IMAX. So if you're able to see it in a proper theater, like... They get into it. The The whole ending credits of this movie is them showing you the capture of the stuff for the game. Mm-hmm. And on the technical side, uh, you know, I'll give it its praises. For its story, it's not bad. There are points where it gets really cheesy. But when it gets terrible is, again, when you realize <laughs> you fabricated some timelines here to make this a cohesive story. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of movies this year that we've gotten that are based on products. And it's interesting to see how far they're willing to stray from, like, being advertisements. And, like, I, I think Barbie does a good job of we talking about recent movies of, you know, transcending just being product placement or whatever, where it's all it's offering commentary and it's offering commentary and it's offering story. Uh, it, it doesn't just feel like it's an ad, even if it is most, you know, an ad. Gran Turismo feels like an ad a lot 
of the time. Like the whole beginning is like this cold open dedication to uh, the creator of the series. Like just, it's not about the story at all. It's just like, oh, he tried, he made this amazing racing simulator. And a lot of times it'll slow down to show you the graphics or show you, uh, you know, how cool the cars look in there. And it's, I don't know, uh, it's, it's stuff that doesn't serve as story a lot of the time. Um, and you mentioned the whole based on a true story element. It's funny because like, you know, there is no real story in Gran Turismo, the video games, but the, the, the story that they use here is actually kind of a compelling one. They, they take these people who are great at the video game and test them in the real world. It's like a classic sort of fish out of water thing. It lends itself well to the sports underdog structure that they're sort of trying to pull out here. But, I agree with you where it really kind of starts to feel wonky is the places where they try to fabricate it and they try to manipulate it in order to be the most, you know, cinematic version of itself. Uh, I, I was looking up on IMD on, on Wikipedia after the movie, our, our guy Jan wasn't even the first GT graduate the way that it's sort of portrayed in the movie. And the person who was first Lucas Ordonez actually competed in the 24 hours at Le Mans before he did, which is like a central element of the film. So it, it, it like tries to do this thing where it almost like treats gamers as like a, like an ethnic minority. And it's, it just sort of, it comes off yeah. very like weird and goofy. Uh, yeah. There are also like big sequences in the movie where like accidents happen and ridiculous I, accidents yeah and like the accident in and of itself for an action movie is like yo that's crazy that's really big on the character then you remember it's a true story and you're dealing with like the what's that michael bay rock movie with mark Wahlberg as well pain and gain fantastic movie right mm -hmm. and then you sit there and you're like now nah, these are like real people whose punchline is their loved ones getting their skulls like dismembered <laughs> and and when you realize like a lot of the uh, accidents that happen in this movie don't just involve the racers that's one thing it also kind of involves the fans that are there to watch. Mm -hmm. I had missed it the first time. I'd gone to the bathroom. I came back. It just like, it, it just left. I, I, I did not comprehend the part that someone had passed who wasn't a racer during one of the sequences. And I was like, yeah, yeah this kind of changes some stuff. It's even worse when they swapped around, like when those events occur. Because like you said, there's that other guy who did the Le Mans race. Why not adapt his story? <laughs> right. Why adapt the dude who like, uh, got more baggage. And, and also, like, why add extra baggage that doesn't exist? Like, there, there's got to be enough of a story there that you don't have to fabricate this whole traumatic element and ultimately make the movie feel a little more inauthentic. I feel, you know, it's weird because I think there are elements of the story that, sound comp that are compelling. That, you know, there's a small thing with uh, his father being played by Jaimin Hansu, who tries to talk about how they come from more humbler b uh, backgrounds than the people who go into racing. And that's like a, a true thing. A lot of the people who come up in auto racing come from means because it's a very expensive sport to compete in. So like there, there are things that you could pull from that would be more grounded than this like ridiculous sort of uh, climax that they end up giving the movie. Uh, yeah. You were talking a bit about the performances in the film. Who stood out to you as the best? Like I did, I just wanted to give the that cars. quick shout to well, the cars are great. You talked about the sound design too. That's one of the things that the game video games are known for. And they, they really killed it here with that as well. Yeah. Uh, 
I have got nobody. There's like one sequence for David Harbour because he's not a bad actor. He yeah. just finds himself in this like, oh, I'm David Harbour in this <laughs> scene right here. It, I, I get tired of it a little bit. He is spending the whole movie kind of laughing at the fact that he's in the movie. And I don't really mm-hmm. care for those characters. And he tends to do that a lot in everything that he's in from his Marvel to Hellboy to, at this point, Stranger Things. Um, but there is one sequence within the movie where they're, like, exchanging gifts. And he's got, like, this look because a big part of his character that kind of contrasts uh, the father's character is that he also doesn't think um, that the kid should give up no matter what comes his way because he's comparing his past career. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, there are moments there where he's he's got something to work with as fabricated, as artificial as the movie may feel, but... Uh, that's it, dude. Because look, the, our main dude, shout out him. He is in Midsommar. Yeah, he isn't. Bo is afraid. Like he is not. Like he's on the come up, Archie. Yeah, he's even. He's even gonna be up in the Heart of Stone. When we discuss it in a bit. I hope he got his bag for this one. You know, you need some of those fighting <laughs> with my families, I guess. And this is him fighting with himself to a degree. Uh, and it's not bad for a movie that's going to get um, probably future movies. And I think that's that's the thing that sticks out to me here. Neil Blomkamp could not get Alien, so he did Gran Turismo, knowing how many Gran Turismo movies, sorry, games there are, and how many mm. Gran Turismo movies there can be. And right off the bat, you designed the stuff. So it's that, like, characters buy. As long as you were the first to do it, boom, you just planted your flag for uh, this IP. You, you're interested in the, the further no. stories of Jan no. Mardenborough? <laughs> no, no I don't feel, get it mixed up. <laughs> I feel like if, if we are going to return to the Gran Turismo franchise, it's not going to be like the same set of characters we're maybe going to like exactly. swap out. Maybe they turn David Harbour into like Mr. Miyagi for cars or something that, like that. And that's that. what I'm saying. And at that point, that's his script. That's his yeah. character. And uh, he gets to continue it from there. Do you did you feel like Orlando Bloom was like like trying to be in like a commercial like he every line reading was so big and like cliched I I was not sure what he was trying to do in this movie I gave up on Orlando Bloom the moment that they're trying to pick which racer right our main dude or somebody else yeah and he's like no but the other guy's really good at PR he knows what he's doing who cares if it's a millisecond and then they like go to this drum roll of who's it gonna be then they cut back and Orlando Bloom just. He, was, he put his whole life on the line. He goes, no, it's got to be this choice. <laughs> they cut away. They cut back. And Orlando Bloom's like, "I'm. this is so great that we yeah. got the decision I didn't want. I'm like, we're not going to discuss this. <laughs> this man was ready to pull out a tooth yeah. to, to make sure he got who he wanted. It, it's just, it's not written well. Yeah, um, but also not directed well. By the, yeah, he might have been done the a editing. little dirty by the edit. Exactly, yeah. But, but then I started wondering. I was like, I don't know if there's any editing to fix this. I think you just direct <laughs> it onto the next sequence. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's these, like, really high emotions, and then all of a sudden they dissipate, and there's nothing else. Uh, but yeah. he is also the guy who pitches this entire idea. I'm on the ropes. I got nothing to pick to Nassan. I, I've, I've never driven a Nassan. Nassan. Nissan. How he said it, but uh, that was the thing he was pitching the most. And when you're, when you're pitching to an automotive company that kids should drive race cars uh i I think there's only so much you can work with there but um, yeah i guess he's also a true character because this is it the more i read into it it kind of is but they didn't come straight out of their like gamer chairs they they (laughs) were kind of doing some laps in racing before they Mm -hmm. came straight to this so there is a lot of stuff that the movie has based on a true story as it is it's stretching it out yeah Uh, i just feel like they could have probably like done something that is a little bit truer to the the actual story and it might have even been uh more compelling but or make it all fake don't <laughs> or, even yeah, hold or just yourself. go crazy just go fast and furious Screw with it Screw it um i thought did, did you uh recognize the actress playing his mother 
The actress playing his mother. What's her name? Uh, that would be Mrs. Jerry Hallowell Horner, a.k.a. Ginger Spice, who, interesting enough, is Mrs. Red Bull Racing. She's married to Christian Horner, who is the head of Red Bull's F1 racing team, which is the uh, top racing team in the world right now. So kind of oh, a, like a, like a, a spice meta girl? appearance. Yeah, a Spice Girl and oh. racing royalty in a weird way. Interesting. Well, then. Yeah. So, interesting, my, too, for there. I don't know my spices like that. <laughs> <laughs> you were never a spice, uh, a spice head in never in, in, on Spice World. I don't know. I, I don't know what they I, call I themselves. I was living in the Spice World, but I can't say I was a spice head. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm always, I was more of a uh, scary spice person myself. But very interesting. I'm more of a pussycat dolls. <laughs> or not pussycat dolls. No, no, no. Well, what's the what's the movie? Oh, Josie, Josie and the, the Pussycats. Pussycats. Thank you. They're not even yeah, real, two, but yeah. Two very different things. Two completely different things, but yeah. interesting. Interesting casting that they had there for Gran Turismo. It doesn't even come out next week. Gran Turismo doesn't come out until the end of August. It's the reason Oppenheimer yeah. got another week. Uh, they're playing this in IMAX. They're playing this in Dolby. Uh, for my money, if you care for this franchise, because there are people there, you know, damn near came with their wheel sets mm-hmm. like he had at the beginning of this movie, it, then yeah, sure, you're going to want to go watch it. Go the watch Easter it in eggs Dolby. are cool. For the, the Easter eggs were stupid. I'm not even no. going to spoil it here. There are lines that aren't even for the game. They are for the gaming community, and they are the most ridiculous things. They come from yeah. coaches who would have never been on a on a, on a live. It, it comes from medical personnel. You will know it when you hear them, bro. My yeah. mom would have gotten these lines. Oh, I mean, I'm not the stuff like ca- dropping noobs and stuff like that. I mean, exactly. more of the sound design Easter eggs. I don't want to spoil it for eggs. the fans, but <laughs> no, the sound design, a yeah. lot of the stuff that they did there, I thought it looked pretty cool. Uh, this idea of like him turning from the video game into the real world and mm-hmm. then from the real world back into the video game. Yeah. And conveniently Th- showing off the Gran Turismo graphics. For sure. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, I, I think that ultimately it's just, th- there's just too many great racing movies that this one uh, is trying to go up against. Like Devesh in the live stream is mentioning Rush, which is probably one of the recent ones. Uh, Even just talking about... Even just talking about the Le Mans sequence, like Ford v Ferrari also did Le Mans and probably did it a lot more compellingly than this. So I couldn't I even know. remember what movie it was from, yeah. but I kept recounting the night scene in Ford v Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I felt it. I remembered it. Yeah, there's not much you can do with that. So yeah, I think you can wait till uh, it's available on streaming to catch Gran Turismo. Oh, damn. Okay. Not not a fan of the, the video game one for this one, huh? Eh, I mean, I don't know if it if it did the best uh, job of replicating the experience. It, you know, yeah. it, it, it advertises itself on being the most realistic racing simulator, and then a guy's car flies through the air like like it's like a <laughs> paper it. airplane. Yeah, I know that was a real thing to do. Now I know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you did. Do you even know how many Gran Turismo movies are or games are? Uh, I be think like they're up to seven does. now. Damn. Okay. Maybe eight. Well, Zach. You may have not liked Gran Turismo 8. It's too realistic for me. But maybe there was a movie out there based off of a tiny chapter of an old book that maybe expanded <laughs> into something that you would want. The Last Voyage of the Demeter, also known as Dracula on a Boat. You went out of your way to see the what only big movie that came out this week, I guess. We did Gran Turismo because of the early screenings. But yeah. this is what everything cleared its way for. And then didn't even get the IMAX or the Dolby. That went back to Barbie <laughs> and Oppenheimer. The Last Voyage of the Demeter. It's playing in your rinky-dink theater in the back. But it is the new movie of the week with a stacked cast and a director who I really like, dude. 
this guy has done a couple of uh, very interesting movies. We yeah. talked last week, uh, The Underrated Autopsy of Jane Doe. I think Troll Hunter, especially when it was on Netflix, was, was doing a lot of good stuff. And really good graphics, uh, or visual effects, sorry. Uh, I'm still in the video game mind. Of mortal, scary stories to tell in the dark. What did you think of this two-hour journey? Uh, I mean, Last Voyage of the Demeanor is not exactly the kind of genre that t- tends to appeal to me. I, I'm I'm not mm. super into the monster movie stuff, uh, into Dracula movies, although I do think that Dracula on a boat, as you alluded to, would have been a much more appealing title. Uh, may- maybe would have done a little bit better at the box office with that title, but nonetheless, um, I don't know. I, I just found the movie to be a little bit like dreary and and like self-serious and not like not that I'm looking for something necessarily like to be campy or ridiculous but it, I didn't really find pleasure in watching it um it you know the way that it sort of ends up being this like it sort of slowly decimating their crew in this contained space. It, I got a little bit impatient with it, especially at that full two hours. It kind of feels like they're setting up this conflict and then you're kind of waiting for it to, to ultimately crescendo. And based on, you know, the who is a more famous person, who's a person you might have recognized from another TV show or movie that they've been in, they may or may not make it towards the end, uh, the final couple scenes, right? Like, I, I just think that there's no sort of, like, stakes or suspense in a movie that is largely built around the idea of suspense, which is a shame because I do think it, like, mostly looks really good and it's really acted acted well. Like, our boy Corey Hawkins is, uh, is great in it. That's and great. I, uh, yeah, I just like, I never really felt like I was along for the ride. Yeah, like I said, it's two hours. I think they should have cut it. I don't understand why when you have a short story, which really is what it is, it's a short chapter, if I'm not mistaken, of the Dracula story where they're like transporting the body from one point to another. I think that's really interesting to do. Mm-hmm. I'm not even against the idea of adapting a short story into a feature because some of the best, such as uh, Stephen King. Uh, Stephen King's novella that then got turned into the Shawshank Redemption. But there's right. nothing in that movie I would cut. That is a tight movie. This could have gotten rid of 30 minutes and it would have been better. Like you put it, the stakes and the climax should have gotten there faster. There should have been a moment where you just set everybody up and then you just have it just, you know, the monster tearing through everybody there. There's like an element of it that almost wants to be like the thing where you're almost mm. wondering like who could it be or at least that's what the cast is playing. But yeah. you as the audience already know that's not the case. You're right. just kind of along for the ride, especially with the way the movie begins. Um, I-, I will say, while yes, you do know Corey Hawkins as the lead is going to be the one that to, to stay a bit, I do think they have some pretty brutal kills. They mm-hmm. go the lengths to some of these that I was not expecting. I was like, oh, they don't usually do that in a movie. And they went for it. Um, I want to give a shout out to this kid who you already know from a couple of movies. I was going to ask. It's the boy, dude, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, because if I remember name? correctly, he's your reason for not really lo- vibing with Come On, Come On. Maybe not Woody Norman himself, but his character. Woody Norman, right? Yeah, Woody Norman. Woody Norman uh, was in Come On, Come On, and he played it perfectly. He's He got cast to play an annoying kid. 
he he showed up to work. In Demeter, he's got these like really creepy eyes. Like he's just got this almost like a doe like look. And as he's going around the ship that's all supposed to be like lit in moonlight, he's like the only innocent one aboard, which mm-hmm. you also know uh I get like there's stakes, but there's no stakes. It adds that element of like, yo, he's the only innocent pure blood on here, which means the moment they get an inkling of his blood, like this this Dracula figure is gonna go crazy. He was also recently in this movie. Have you heard of Cobweb? Yeah, uh, that's got my girl Lizzie Kaplan in it. Have you seen it yet? I have not, because I've not heard great things about it. Uh, look, I think it's better than The Meter. I think it's mm-hmm. very mixed, and the things that people are mixed on, I think maybe because I already went in knowing that it was going to go crazy in the second half, he kills his performance in this movie. I think that he's just been getting better and better in everything that he's in, and even if, right. like, like you were saying with Come On, Come On, if the character or the role doesn't vibe with you, that is irrelevant to the work this kid is putting in. And I think the same thing happens in the meter. I think when he comes in there, uh, he is going full throttle in terms of just uh, kind of being the one who guides our main characters around the ship. He's the one who kind of sets all the location. Um, and I wish we got to, I don't know, have more intimate moments with them. Because the moment that the bodies start getting counted up, you're, you don't really care. Yeah. But then for what's supposed to be a bottle film. They kind of hype it up to be something that would have sequels. This this is something that from the Pope's Exorcist where you're like, oh, yeah, this we got an older actor here. It's not going to extend to something else. And then they go, there's a lot of sequels we can make. Demeter ends the same way. I thought there was a moment that they were going to reveal a character as being Van Helsing because I'm like, <laughs> there's no reason we're still following you, bro. Right. And it's it's just there to set up like another voyage in the Demeter, even though this yeah. is the last voyage. So, uh. <laughs> I feel like it's a particularly egregious form of like to be continued. You know, most movies uh, nowadays that are, our IP will at least hint at future uh, things that can be explored. But this was yeah. really like a dot, 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 not, not any kind of conclusive statement. Uh, it, you know, it, it it doesn't feel it feels like an episode of a show in a way, almost the way that it ends. Like it's it, that was our Honestly, intro and now we're getting into the series. I saw somebody who said that, like, this would have actually been the best starting point for their uh, Warner Brothers dark universe. And like that would make again? sense to me because it feels like we're starting something, you know, that's going to continue, even though I don't know if they're actually going to make more of these movies. Um, so one of the things is uh, you mean Universal. The, the Universal Monsters, right? Sorry, my bad, yes. Because um, when DreamWorks came out at the front, we were so confused. Because we associate DreamWorks with, like, happiness. Right. Dreams. Uh, but, yeah, that's kind of what they have this under. And I, you're right. I don't know how many times they're going to restart that universe as well. But I think that would have been interesting if you were going to make this, like, an interconnected thing. Because you're right. The way that it ends, it's not that schlocky horror. Oh, no, the hand is still alive. Oh, no, mm-hmm. the eye still opens. It is dialogue, and until the next the, the end of my days, I will find yeah. you and I will scour through it. I'm like, I don't know what we're doing here, bro. This this looks like a companion piece to The Haunting in Venice, and I just expected it to be one outing. It's usually what the guy's been really good at making. I don't hate it. That's what sucks. I think it does a lot of very good uh, as as a very eerie mood to it. Mm-hmm. I I don't think it's shot terribly. I think the performances are great, even with uh, Miss Nightingale, who you had shouted out early on. I did not yeah. recognize her until I saw her. Aisling, she's always really good in what she's in. David and I think, does his stuff, as well as like the, the co-captain. Um, you have some really, obviously, because of just his voice, but the homie from Game of Thrones comes in and is giving these like really big speeches. He also has this performance where when uh, someone gets attacked, he mm-hmm. refuses to believe it. I'm like, oh, you see, we have these moments here that we could really push on. 
it's like one of like three minutes in a two hour movie where you get that and then the rest of it you're just waiting for them to like count down I do not know the names of half the bodies that left in this movie and I don't mm-hmm. think the objective was reached for anybody by the end of this voyage so uh, last voyage of the Demeter I think when it hits Peacock I think some people will be entertained for 90 minutes of its two hour runtime. yeah um, I, I I don't know I'm not sure if this is one that I'd recommend I know there are some people out there who are enjoying it but yeah I guess it is like if you if you can catch it for free on Peacock then maybe it's it's worth the adventure but it's not one that I would uh I wouldn't circle the calendar or anything like that but Zach if you could leave to catch this in the new Paris theater that is getting recliners and a 4K. Renovated. You know, Netflix, Netflix is putting out all the money, all the stops for the new yeah. theater to play gems like Heart of Stone. <laughs> Talk to the people about the new Gal Gadot and who's this man? The new Tom, Tom Harper, director of Aeronauts and Woman in Black 2. Oh, geez. I didn't even realize it was a, this was a Tom Harper joint. Uh, I was expecting you to mention Jamie Dornan, who is the... Uh, uh, op- plays opposite Gal Gadot here in Heart of Stone, uh, where Gal Gadot is part of a secret agent team. We learn in the opening minutes of the movie, but then we find out she's part of an even more secret, a secret. secreter agent team. <laughs> it's a, a ridiculous twist on a twist. I mean, it's not even a twist on a twist. It's uh, not I'm even a not, yeah, She's yeah, her own guardian angel. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, it, 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 it's just this unnecessary level of complication to start the movie but the this is a film that has Gal Gadot doing the whole globe trotting super spy secret agent thing in a se- series of sequences that are like extremely directly ripped off of the Mission Impossible series like it's almost hard to understate how or overstate how many sequences are just Mission Impossible. There's the whole intro with her and her team where there's like a betrayal and a lot of them get killed like the first Mission Impossible movie. There's the whole sequence where they go on super fast motorcycles like they do in Mission Impossible 4. There's her hanging off the edge of a fast moving vehicle and sort of just like careening backwards like at the end of the first Mission Impossible movie. There's the parachuteless jump from a plane like they did in, was it uh, Fallout or was that uh, Rogue Nash. Um, when he falls out, does zero gravity fall? Yeah. No, no, no. Fallout. The, yeah, Fallout, Fallout. Like, there's over and over again, they're just aping Mission Impossible in a way that doesn't feel like homage and just feels like plagiarism. Like, call it Mission Implagiarism or something like that. I, I don't know. Um, there's. It's also just sort of lacking a lot of the, like, feeling of, uh, of like, tangibility that those Mission Impossible do- movies do. There's no danger to the the stunts. There's no um, chemistry, really, between the actors. It's just sort of a movie devoid of feeling to me, personally. Uh, I don't know. It, it's very a very Netflix, uh, like, cliched Netflix attempt at big-budget blood- big blockbuster. Uh, and, of course, it would star Gal Gadot. That makes a lot of sense. So, Art, did you have as bad of a time with Heart of Stone as me, or did you find more things to enjoy? Um, I saw it in parts, and I think it's also one of those movies where it's not just copying. It's copying everything, but there's no settings. They don't go to the locations. It's all green screen. 
all right, that's fine. You know, at least we got good actors who barely even see each other. It's like they had COVID protocols before COVID. And then on top of that, they don't even make contact with each other. There's no fighting. I can see when this girl dips down, you know, her mm-hmm. hair gets all in the way. She's got those bangs. <laughs> Someone else is fighting. And then she does that thing where she like detects a switch. She comes back up and it's like, girl, you didn't get a scratch on you. <laughs> so, no, I, I wasn't head over heels for it. You know, in the barometer that is uh, the previous one that she was in for Netflix. I don't know if you remember what it was called with The Rock. Oh, uh, sh- Red Notice? Like, this one was even worse, in my opinion. So, yeah. I guess it's it's more boring than Red Notice, but it's a but better less annoying. movie. Right? Yeah. Yes. But it's, it yeah. Just kind of, yeah. It's just kind that's of terrible. dull. That's terrible. No, that's like when you have to take medication, but you know the side effects that you're going to get. Like, what are we doing here, bro? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really don't get it. Um, I don't understand I, that. It, it's funny because, like, the one thing they didn't steal from a Mission Impossible movie is that the there is, like, an, a massively powerful AI algorithm, but in this movie, it's good because why would Netflix want to warn you about the algorithm? Dumb. Absolutely dumb. Um, you know, it's a packed cast. I'll give them that. Uh, a big shout-out to Matthias. The man has been swinging in all cylinders. Besides getting all those Netflix movies and even getting his own off of that Snyderverse that they were working on, Oppenheimer. Yeah. I mean, as Heisenberg himself. Mm-hmm. And then even here, it's been a good little year for him. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what's worse for Gal Gadot. Um, this movie, did it even come in at number one? Because I know that's like a massive thing. Like, The Rock won't make a movie unless he's guaranteed like four weeks on that algorithm number one. <laughs> I don't know where this ended up landing for her, but between this movie and then uh, the whole James Gunn thing about her claiming that she had Wonder Woman 3 in the bag. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you heard about that. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did hear about that. I didn't hear it. Did James Gunn refute that or something? From what I hear, it's like, that's not happening. Oh. She just came out and said it. <laughs> and it's like, no one guaranteed you that. So I, I don't think it's going to be that great for her. For me, yeah. it's sitting exactly where it needs to be, and that is streaming at home. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even recommend it as a stream. It I think it's a skip it. The Meg 2 was also in theaters, and I should have just waited for it to be out at home. But there was one <laughs> final Dolby screening. I decided to double it up, excuse me, with uh, the Dolby screening that they had in, in advance for Gran Turismo and this one, the last showing that they were going to have in its full Dolby mix. And, um, yeah, I wish I heard it in mono because then maybe I would have been more focused on anything else. But the horrendous <laughs> follow-up to Meg. Uh, Meg to the Trench continues to star Jason Statham and a lot of its international cast. This movie did numbers overseas because Jason Statham and the Meg are not the star here. It is a split between thirds. There's another actor, I don't know his name right off the top, but it's the uh, uncle character. Uh, the movie's doing really big in China because it's 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 kind of like back in the Transformers days where they mm-hmm. were kind of split it between here's Sam Witwicky and now here is the subplot that's happening in China because the movie's got to right. be big over there as well. And then, you know, CGI effects. So it's this movie split in thirds between the American crowd, the Chinese crowd, and then just the CGI effects, which is international. Everybody speaks that language, <laughs> I guess. Um, it is like a series of greatest hits from a lot of other movies, in my opinion. Like there are some James Bond references in here. There is a lot of kaiju references in here. They're trying to expand it so that it's not just the Megs fighting, but there may be some other creatures because the whole reason for its subtitle is that they have opened up the trench down below in order to be able to go get something. There are a lot of uh, companies that are trying to like extract a lot of things from the trench, but they're also leaving a lot of pollution. Jason Statham and his group, they don't believe in pollution. So they're kind of fighting against them. That's what causes this whole thing. Uh, 
but I don't think it's good for your movie when the first one had one Meg. Now you got multiple Megs, and they just kind of they, they feel like guppies at this point. Uh, you you don't feel that that fierceness that they had with the first Meg, where it's mm-hmm. like uh, you would be scared to even see them through glass or from far away. Um, there's some goofy sequences in there. The main one that you see in the poster is him trying to do his best Dwayne Rock Johnson, where he's fighting alongside the Meg, kind of with the Meg and against the Megs. This man takes down like five <laughs> Megs back to back to back. Uh, so if that's what you're looking for for Jason Statham, look, I'll give it to him. Another man who every three months has been in a feature film this year from mm-hmm. his side roles in Fast X. Uh, I think Wrath of Man was still last year, but Operation Fortune, Meg 2. He's been in that trailer for the upcoming Expendables. He is the opening shot. Hey, Jason, the Meg may work hard. Jason Statham works hard. Do not catch this one in theaters, but it'll almost be out. Did the final we... one that we have... <laughs> Uh, sorry, I was just going to say, did we o- underrate Jason Statham on our Best Movie Stars 50 and Over bracket? How? I just said skip the Meg. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, you said it. He's in theaters every couple months now. Yeah, that's great for his family. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean anything to, to his uh, box office royalty for yeah. that. Uh, but speaking of actual royalty, Red, White, and Royal Blue, the final one that we have here on our list, the prime original movie coming from Matthew Lopez who took what was a book. <coughs> I have not read the book, so I can't speak on like mm-hmm. all the nuance there, nuances that, that come from that. But I believe this man uh, wrote, directed it, adapted it for prime in a almost two, yeah, two hours, uh, 121 minutes. Uh, it has been the cutesy rom-com of the week. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, quotes that I've heard people say is how uh, one of them thinks they're in Riverdale. The other one thinks they're in Call Me By Your Name. <laughs> Your name. I yep. heard that one. That made me laugh because it, it's true, dude. Very um, true. What did you think of Red, White, and Royal Blue? Um, well, you know the wor- movie is a work of fiction because the Democrats successfully implement a progressive campaign strategy. Uh, that That's part of it. Uh, it look, I think it's... I think it's obviously a lot more Hallmark than like When Mary Had Sally. It's very cheesy. The There's like a over-articulateness to this type of romantic comedy where they like leave no emotion unclearly expressed so that like everybody is able to live their full emotional truth in these movies. Um, that I think fu- I often find like cheesy and a little bit like stiff right Uh, a little wooden i think a lot of times bad screenplays sort of call out their own non sequiturs they'll be they'll do the whole like speaking of x or like do you have a minute to talk about why where it it just ends up being this thing where they call attention to how artificial the dialogue feels but all of that aside like that's not really the bar you have to clear with a romantic comedy what you have to clear is do the leads have some kind of fun chemistry? Is it a world that you vicariously kind of want to live in? And is there just like enough of a of a novelness to the situation that it feels like fresh and it feels like we something you haven't seen? And I think in all those ways, it does a really good job of getting the romance movie movie stuff right. I, I think even though, as you mentioned. Uh, Nicholas Galatzin and Zachary uh, Zakhar Perez feel like are acting like they're in completely different types of movies. It kind of works for their vibe and it kind of ends up being a a, a cute, you know, pairing between them. Um, I don't know what Uma Thurman's accent is. I I don't know. Thank you, dude. It was one point that thing dipped. (laughs) Yeah. I thought she was going to pull something. It's all over the place. Also, the movie, it's like, 
it's trying to signal its progressive values at you like so strongly and but it's hilarious to have like a million white people jokes in a movie that is entirely either white people or basically white passing people um but all that aside like i i don't i didn't hate it i thought it was kind of sweet i don't think it's very good but i don't think it was unsuccessful yeah you know skew for for uh the movie that it was going for, it definitely, I think for a lot of Prime movies, their their thing is more on the rom-com stream heavy, not on the rom-com classic, like you said, Harry Met Sally, because it's it's going off the novelty of like, we have not had like a King and I bit of gay story, right? Yeah. Especially in this sense where it's like, you're almost removing that a little bit more. Again, it's based off a book, but he is also, not royalty, but he is part of the, the first family. Yeah. It's uh, basically have... Prince versus the Prince meets Prince. Yeah, it, it's my date with the president's daughter and then a royalty movie clash together. And I, I think that does a lot of the heavy lifting. You had mentioned the dialogue does not all the he- it does all the lifting, really. Yeah. Uh, y- you had mentioned like characters will tell you what they're feeling. It's one of those where like the hands are always going up in the air. Ah, oh, don't you understand? Kiss me. And it's like <laughs> the, the, you could watch the movie on mute and know everything that they're saying. Yeah. Um, I do agree in the split between the actors. You know, shout out my boy Taylor. But this is his lineup right now. You know, I, I think the agent needs to take him in a different way. I don't know if he's got the chops to do it, but he's a good looking young man. I'm sure he can get there. But this is his repertoire right now. And nothing changes for red, white and royal blue. There's also something to be said for staying in your lane. And, and maybe maybe well, he's what, doing a little bit of maybe, that. Maybe. Maybe. Yo, but Nicholas? Nicholas can weave through everything. The mm-hmm. boy went from being a Republican in Purple Hearts. Everyone hated him. Man, they switched up on him faster now that he's in red, white, and royal blue. They don't care. Uh, <laughs> I noticed a lot of people who were going to quit Twitter and now have blue Twitter check marks so that they can get a check in the mail were the first ones to go from Purple Hearts to red, white, and royal blue, and now he's at the top of the game. Man was also in Cinderella. I will always know him as Woke Timmy from The Craft. <laughs> He's going to be in Bottoms, which you absolutely love. You don't yeah, have to and catch he's that. hilarious he in it. Something like Bottoms, the way he's able to get into all of these movies in and out, even mm-hmm. when they are terrible, showcases that he is an actor to watch for. Uh, I think he knows how to balance tone very well. Uh, and, and I have to commend him because it's many times in movies where everybody else isn't holding it uh, as well as he's able to. So he can balance that tightrope uh, phenomenally. So shout out to him. I'm very curious to see more of the stuff that he's done. Um and I thought, I thought the movie was cute for what it's worth. I, I don't think that if this was yeah. out in theaters, it was be, you know, smashing box office records. But for an at-home no. movie, uh, for the novelty that it comes with it, I think you're going to see a lot more of these. And then eventually you will get one that's got that call me by your name prestige that some of the actors in this movie think they're going for. Yeah. But that is the last one that we had here for our theatrical and streaming movies of the week. Out of the ones that we got, your top pick would be... By default, Gran Turismo? Uh, it, yeah, it's a, it's a tough week, man. I was looking through my letterbox, and it was like two-star, one-and-a-half star, two-star. It was uh, not my favorite week in the theater. I, I've got some stuff that's better coming up in our picks for the week, but of the movies we just talked about, yeah, I think I'd go Gran Turismo. That's crazy, dude. I'm going to go untold the Johnny Football story because that's how you know that you just don't care in life when you say I messed up. Then I fix myself to mess up, and I'll make it a Netflix doc to mess up mess up some more. The biggest mess up. If you think that you're having a bad time, go watch Untold Johnny Football. 
and uh, maybe maybe it'll help you make some changes in your life. But mm-hmm. let's talk about two TV series that are out right now. Uh, one coming from Netflix and the other coming from Apple TV+. Plus. Did you get to catch any of the episodes from Netflix's TV miniseries, Painkiller? I caught the first one of Painkiller. I don't know how deep in you are. I think it's only five, right? It's so a, It's like five or six, yeah. So I, yeah, I so, caught the first two, three. Okay, so you're a little further in than I am. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously I was struck by... Um, you know, this being Netflix's attempt to take on the Sacklers uh, so shortly after Hulu obviously gained a lot of uh, notoriety and awards That's love for their portrayal of it yep. in Dopesick. Uh, Dopesick is a much more straightforward, dramatic retelling of what the opioid crisis was like from a few different perspectives, including the perspective of uh, some people who are addicted, some people who are dealing with people who are addicted, and uh, the lawyers who are, are either working to take down uh uh, Sack- the Sacklers or Defend the Sacklers or even the Sacklers themselves are featured in the Dope Six series but it's all just told from this much more sober disposition Painkiller on the other hand which comes directed by uh, Peter Berg who has made a, a, a lot of uh, uh, movies of varying, varying quality I guess I would say um, some that I definitely like more than others would you have a favorite, favorite Peter Berg movie? Ah <sighs> Friday Night Lights. I don't know, bro. I went all the way back because they got our boy That's in this one, one too. Yeah, but uh, just just to yeah Taylor, just to go through a couple of the, what Zach was talking about because he has been a writer, director, producer. A lot of y'all have seen his movies. He's got a huge stint with Mark Wahlberg where he plays these like Spencer Confidential don't really count, but like the Mile Twenty Twos, Patriots Day, where Mark Wahlberg's always an amalgamation of all the heroes in real life, but right. he's the one guy. Deepwater Horizon, based off of the real life oil spill. Uh, he did do some leftovers, Bloodline. Like he's also done some good stuff mm-hmm. alongside the battleships of the world. But Lone Survivor, <laughs> another one where he's an amalgamation of a lot of people. Uh, so here, oh, Hancock. Hancock would probably be a top one for me. Uh, That's a good one too. That, that comes from Peter Berg. But he's got a specific style. So when you come into Painkiller and he's beginning, I don't know if you noticed this in the first episode, every single episode begins with that. These are based off events and things have been changed. But my loved one. And then it's a real person recounting yeah. the loss of uh, someone who was close to them because of uh, the opioid crisis. So he does interesting things like that to, to kind of make it be set in reality. Um, mm-hmm. I, I found it to be interesting. It doesn't have as strong of a cast like you had mentioned with Dopesick. Uh, my brother went straight back to finishing Dopesick after he was watching Painkillers. So he saw them back to back completely. And he's like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's not even close. Dopesick far and away he's like have you heard of michael stalberg i was like i'm glad you've heard of michael stalberg that's the point <laughs> um but painkiller is not bad uh and yeah. i think it's the exact type of adaptation uh, i would expect from netflix it really breaks it down to a degree where like you'll have people who are hunting down the marketers who the opioid people have who are going from doctor to doctor trying to convince them to sell this drug or to give this drug out to their patients and someone will just be like you, you know this is just heroin right you're literally just a drug dealer with a ponytail so they will have just these like cut through all the noise and tell it to the characters when it's really for the audience what's going on here and that's that they've been able to disguise under the radar this new form of heroin that is legally being sent out there, uh, right, right under everyone's noses. So, um, again, put the Hulu one on your radar. Yeah. But I think Painkiller is a, a good addition to this story because even at, tri- uh, at TIFF, we're going to have another feature film uh, about 
It's kind of called like Painkiller. I'm, I'm blanking on what it is, but it's going to be a featured film. On oh, it. Uh, Pain Hustlers. Yeah. Thank you. It had pain in it as well. Uh, yeah, I, HBO hasn't done theirs yet, so expect that. I'm sure Alex yeah. Gibney will make a three-part documentary series. Like there's going to be a lot more to come. Uh, yeah. With these I mean, stories. This, se- this seems interesting. I'm, I'm just looking through the credited writers. There's uh, a woman, uh, or I'm actually not sure if, uh, what they're, uh, Casey Gillespie is credited here among the staff writers, which I briefly thought was Craig Gillespie, which would have made sense. That's the, the guy one, who yeah. did uh, I, Tanya and he did yep. Dumb Money. It definitely feels of a sa- similar tone to Craig Gillespie movies. Uh, yes. The painkiller, you know, it's a lot less, uh, a lot less dramatic, a lot more uh, farcical. Uh, but I, I did also, like you, find the openings to be really striking. Just this way that that every episode begins with sort of like grounding you in the realities of the situation. So even though I don't think it uh, seems as as interesting or as like clear headed as something like Dope Sick, there's some interesting stuff in Painkiller as well. That is out on Netflix, and if it gets you a little too depressed, there is a cartoon, an animated series over on Apple TV Plus called Strange Planet. It comes from the people who uh, created Rick and Morty, so it kind of has that, but not fully because it is also based off of a webcomic. I believe they were able to get this into print, and there's even a sequel out now called Stranger Planet, and it's all of these beings that are blue. They have animals, but they speak in... Not a childish way, but almost like a very direct, ah, I'm going to go consume some mild poison. Would you like to consume some mild poison with me? And they go to the <laughs> bar, right? They all speak in a way where they are not hiding any of their emotions. So everyone is up front with each other. And it creates for some pretty funny uh, scenarios. Uh, I want to say that there's six episodes so far, if I'm not mistaken. I think the animation is pretty goofy. Uh, I like a lot of the character interactions that they have here because it's almost like, if minions could speak, but weren't just beating each other up all the time, but were kind of supposed to be human emotions yeah. on a daily basis. Some of these are, are rock stars. Uh, the first episode begins with like a, uh, a couple who are uh, friends who their friendship was only based off of this rock group. And the moment the rock group splits, they don't really know what to do with their friendship. But again, mm-hmm. the way that they speak, they're just kind of discussing their emotions out loud. So, you know, I, I think it's written in a very unique way. Uh, I found it to be pretty funny. Uh, I think a lot of the voice acting is fantastic because you have a lot of uh, people who we kind of know. Demi, you know, oh. Letterbox reviewer himself voices one Tunde of them. Tunde uh, as well. Danny Pudi. Hannah Einbinder's oh. on here as well. So you have like Great a really cast. good cast. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure they probably extended for different episodes and such. And not all of them are on here yet. But yeah. uh, I would recommend the show. I thought it's been a, a really cute watch. What's Over on the, Apple TV Plus. What's the, like, target age range on this? Is this something that, like, even young kids will enjoy as well? Or is this more of, like, a almost adult swim type of demographic? Uh, I did wonder if it was going to be, like, adult swim. Again, it does come from Dan Harmon, so, like, he's hiding it all in there, obviously. Yeah. But I do think that a kid can watch this. Mm-hmm. See, like, them fall in the background. Like I said, almost like this, they'll confuse it with a Minions thing. But then right. there's actual dialogue. So for an adult, you'll be like, oh, I understand what they're saying there. It's almost like it's hiding the jokes for the kids. Instead of saying, cool. let's go D-R-I-N-K-I-N-G. <laughs> it's saying it in a different way. So the kids yeah. aren't going to understand anything that's happening there. Like, they don't, they're not 21 years old. 
they've revolved around the sun. How many cycles around the sun have you had? It's just speaking in like these these very absurdist ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that's why I, I think it's a good recommendation because uh, you could just put it on and it's not offensive, but there are undertones. So it's perfect for adults and for kids. Very cool. Um, especially if you didn't catch the alien movie of the week that had so much goofy marketing. They had people dressed up as jewels. The alien in this movie, I don't know if you saw this, all throughout subway stations. They were walking around in the background of like certain shots. And there were some people who were trying to cite it because, you know, right now we're going alien crazy in the United States of America. And they really thought that this thing was out there. They put prosthetics on, a, on, a, on an extra and they were just walking around town. I don't know how much of it was marketing from, I don't know, Lionsgate. But uh, Jules is the new goofy movie of the week that is kind of like an art house movie. But it's like so goofy. You you don't know why it's out there. It's like that. that um, <laughs> I'm trying to, to think of, like, Bernadette. Where'd you go, Bernadette? Uh, hmm. That one with the models that Steve Carell was in, the Welcome Tomorrow one. These movies that are, like, really weird. Yeah. Like, sort of. the cast is too like big. A, like, sort of magical real, but also grounded. Yeah, like, are you guys trying to get awards for this with Ben Casey <laughs> being in this? But I don't know. I'm looking to catch this. You said that there might be some screening links for it. Uh, yeah. So if you, if you can't catch. Uh, oh, yeah. It also comes from the people who did Miss Sunshine, Little Miss Sunshine in the Farewell. So that's another reason why I feel like, I don't know, there's a, there's a lot to it, but it, it's such a goofy premise. Um, Harriet Sampson Harris is also in it. But if you could not catch Jewels in theaters, Strange Planet, another little alien-like movie that is out cool. over on Apple TV+. Plus. But that is all of our rundown for our reviews for this week. Zach, give a shout-out to all the InterCutie patrons. Yeah, let's do it. We want to thank the wonderful intercuties who support our show uh, and make it so much make it so much easier to get uh, the podcast done. You can support us over on patreon.com slash intercut pod. Our academy level members are Tushar, Cademan, Connor, Josh, May, Ricky, Joe, Janicia, Tyler, and Benji. And then our producer level members are Udenveer, Sam. And Wiley, thanks so much to all of you for that support. And a reminder that by supporting the show, you get access to early episode outlines so you can find out what we're talking about before we actually talk about it. Uh, That's also a look at our brackets before we do them. I'm going to give the inner cuties a look at our next Christopher Nolan bracket before we end up recording that episode. Uh, So that's another advantage as well. You get access to the private channels on the Intercut Discord to chat with us throughout the week. And you'll get an invitation to our monthly patron Google meeting where we chat with all of y'all for uh, an hour or two on Google Voice or Google video chat. And the next one is happening today after this stream. So not too late to head over to patreon.com slash intercut pod contribute as little as $1 a month and become an intercuity plus member art. Are you ready to uh, face off against the patrons on a Christopher Nolan practice bracket? Just as long as following doesn't make the top four, I think we should be good. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, it's a little bit hard to go wrong with the Christopher Nolan movies. I've been working my way back through the catalog as we prepare that episode. And man, banger after banger, even the movies that I remember as not being his best, still which, bangers. Which? You know what, man? I, I actually really, really dug Insomnia on the rewatch. It's so much better oh, that I remembered okay. it. Yeah. We'll get into that and more soon on the Intercut Podcast. Make sure you're subscribed wherever. Uh, but yeah. Those are our patron shoutouts. 
Thank you. Appreciate y'all, all of you inner cuties, including the ones who watch live every week here on YouTube.com, where we shout out all the stuff that's on the horizon. We got our picks for the week, Zach, but are you even curious for the upcoming Blue Beetle? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It looks cute enough. I, I'm not really attached to the DCU, and it doesn't seem like Warner Brothers is very attached to its current iteration either. So I don't know <laughs> how know? much I I should care I'm not about do the this work. One. It's not like <laughs> going to do the work, right? This is yeah. This is the first in the DCU, but not the first in the DCU. Like, can you give a more backhanded compliment? Uh, we got invited to go to the Flash. Got invited to go to a bunch of other screenings, but not Blue Beetle. Uh, so there is that, I guess. Take it as you will. Um, I, I feel like they have like a, 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 a chart on us and they know where we're going to fall. And after the flash, when they're like, yeah, you know, if he, if the nostalgia of Michael Keaton didn't do it for them, we not invited him to Blue Beetle. But mm-hmm. uh, look, I, I've been tired of it 10 years ago. I'm so tired of it today. Um, I want him to stand on its own. And a lot of the praises that I'm hearing, it, it sounds exciting. But I, I, I don't want Loteria jokes, like 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 a bingo card of literally, hey, this is funny to your culture, right? And there's your movie. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> who's the next? Like, I don't want a brown panther. I, I, I want Blue Beetle to stand on its own. And I feel like it's 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 another leftover movie from the old guard. That sounds terrible. With the Wonder Woman news, with uh, The Flash being a movie that's not even really going to continue. It's just there to fix things. I don't know what Blue Beetle is. And it feels like a backhanded compliment. To like push it as the first Latino something when it also feels like the last Latino something. <laughs> so Blue Beetle in theaters, it's what's stopping Oppenheimer because it was shot in IMAX. So if you want to see a little bit above uh, Blue Beetle's head, uh, it will be in IMAX theaters this week alongside a movie that every time a trailer plays, people go crazy. There is going to be so much love for strays because you can make a movie with uh, certain ethnicities. You can make a movie with good boys. People will complain when it's humans, but you make them dogs and people are going to be there day one. I see this movie making a lot of money. I see people being uh, all up for it for raunchy comedies when you could just remove that uh, whatever stigmas we may have with other humans. You you put it on, on these animals who can speak, who do drugs, who do pr- damn near everything under the sun. And uh, I, I think it's going to be a hit. So I don't know yeah. when uh, you're catching strays. They should have a screening. Yeah, they got I, I don't even agree. tomorrow at AMC. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't even agree with what I'm about to say, but they should have screenings where you can bring your dog. <laughs> Would you bring Lady to a dog's friendly screening of strays? Absolutely not. Because yeah. and it's not that I wouldn't bring Lady. It's that that means everyone else can bring their ladies, and I don't yeah. believe their ladies are potty trained, and I am not sitting <laughs> <laughs> for an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. Come on, they're like on an incline already too. I don't want to see a bunch of streaks coming down after the theater. No, no, no. They're gonna have to hose that one down. But and it could be an idea. Maybe an outdoor screening of strays in the future. There you go. That's what they should be thinking about. I um, just don't trust a room full of dogs to stay quiet enough for me to enjoy any movie. But for uh, me, it's that's a whole other situation. Phones. Yeah, and I, I just don't want to see that. Birth <laughs> Rebirth. A couple of uh, festival picks are coming out this weekend. Some of which had, as we uh, talked about. Ambulance is at the screening. Birth, rebirth is about a mother losing their child and a doctor who loses, creates. There's a lot of different things happening with this doctor who has this cycle of birthing and rebirthing that, again, had people vomiting at the screenings over at Sundance. Uh, I don't think it lives up to the hype, but I do think it's very disgusting and should be on your radar if you are a horror fan. Uh, Another one from Sundance would have been Mutt. I don't know uh, how this one ended up sitting with you. One of the ones that we yeah. caught virtually over at Sundance. If you want to talk about it, um, I it was a interesting film. You know, like a 
a sprawling uh journey across New York City. I think, you know, it, it's totally in line with a lot of classic sort of low-budget uh, indie films, but obviously because of the sort of gender politics around this one, it's got a, a unique perspective on it, and I think it's really uh, well-performed. Is it uh, Leo Mahiel, the the lead of the film, I thought was very good in it as well? I believe. I think they may have also won at Sundance. I'm double-checking it Yeah, right the here. acting award, I believe. Oh, acting award for Leo Mahieu, yeah? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think the performances really do uh, help ground and carry this one. So I'd, I'd definitely give it a uh, watch if you have it in a theater near you. Uh, that one's coming out limited, as well as our final uh, new release, Sell by Day. I don't know if you ever had the chance to catch this one. It released at South by a couple ah. of years ago. Yeah, I remember like you liking ex- it. It's like an experimental, like documentary kind of narrative. Pretty much, this woman has a uh, a one woman show. All of these are her characters played by herself. She has done this for a while, for real, on stage in New York, if I'm not mistaken. She mm-hmm. then made this movie that kind of takes a lot of those themes that she has and makes it into uh, like a day in the life of her. She's walking around visiting different people. Some of them are her characters. Some of them are real people. It's about essay. It's about, you know, sex politics, a lot of different things, especially when, you know, it comes into play with the uh, the, the title, What's Your Sell-By Date? Uh, mm-hmm. But I thought it was a very nuanced take uh, on a lot of these discussions. There are some really big producers on this who also make cameos. And I don't even want to call them cameos, but they, they end up becoming uh, talking not even heads. She'll go visit them and have a whole conversation with them. One of them being Brian Cranston. And that just takes like the conversation to like a, a, another level from his point of view and uh, the reason he comes on board to the project. But this is a uh, one that's been on Tubi for a bit, is now getting the Peacock release uh, and just want to put it on people's radar. But getting into our top five picks for the week, bro. They kept delaying this one for us. I don't know if you caught this one at TIFF last year, but I remember when we were talking about the TIFF stuff last year, this one was brought up as an indie gem. I then yeah. saw it at a festival. We didn't get it. It was at a Chicago festival. We didn't get it. Well, it's finally out on digital. This <laughs> movie is fantastic. Uh, the movie is Brother. If I did not say it, it comes from Clement Virgo, who I believe has been uh, really good on a lot of the projects that they've worked on. Um, you know, I haven't seen Dahmer, but I know Dahmer's been sweeping up stuff, and we just covered the Emmys to showcase that there was going to be a lot of things uh, that were going to come out of there. But do you remember Grand Army? Yeah, the show on Netflix, right? That got canceled, and they just Mm -hmm. left us waiting there. There was a really big split on Grand Army if it was just kind of um, projecting, pretending to be a lot of the themes and politics that it was talking about. And I'm like, no, 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 I think they do know what they're talking about. This is the perfect movie to showcase, specifically with these two Characters that you see up on screen. They're mm-hmm. with the storyline I like the most in Grand Army. This movie showcases, like, yeah, that element of that series was handled clearly by Clement. Brother follows two brothers in three different timelines when they are super young. I want to say 10 years later when they're in high school and then 10 years after that. And the performances from both men here are fantastic. Lamar Johnson, we just spoke on last week. The dude just got an Emmy nomination for The Last nice. of Us. And he's here killing it again as the younger brother. But, dude, it, it's Aaron Pierre who steals the freaking show. My man went from <laughs> midsize sedan and old, which, again, <laughs> allowed him to work with, with, with a legend. But he came from uh, the Underground Railroad where he did some really good work, miniseries uh, over on Amazon Prime. But this has been one of his standout performances, in my opinion. Uh, he's supposed to be in cahoots with Marvel, but I, I'm glad he's got this one under his belt. 
Uh, I highly, highly recommend Brother. You can rent it. You can buy it. Uh, it may still be in some limited theaters, but uh, I'd, I'd implore you seeking it out if you can before your end of the year list, uh, especially for the performances. Brother. Yeah, you know who loved that one when we were at TIFF? Uh, Jeffrey Borislow, uh, the, the Karst cast. That's who co-host. brought it up then, yeah. bro. He did a bros brother double feature, and he was like, I liked them both. <laughs> Thank you. All right, Jeff, that it was you, dude. You're the one who had it on my radar. I've, yeah. I, I knew someone had brought it up in the TIFF thing, and uh, I've, been, I've been meaning to catch it for a couple of festivals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I finally had the chance to get it, so hey. Nice. Now it's the, it's the, easiest, it's the easiest way to uh, catch it from the comfort of your own home. Uh, after Brother, I caught up on some screenings. This is something that is actually out on AMC Plus because it's a Sundance now. Dude, there's a whole Mackenzie series. She plays one of three siblings in this show called Totally Completely Fine, where she gets the inheritance of a house. This house, however, is in this beautiful cliffside. Fantastic. You can drink a cup of coffee there in the morning. But people keep showing up to die. Hmm. She just so happens to be someone who's tried to take her own life. And the father, if I'm not mistaken, who leaves this behind, planned it all because she knew that she would need to be the person who is now taking his old duty, which is of stopping everybody who tries to make that jump. This hmm. has some beautiful scenery. If it's green screen, y'all got me. It looks fantastic. This house that's right there out the cliff. Obviously, the performance is not just from her, but all these new characters that she's meeting almost on a daily basis. Uh, we're like two, three episodes in. Highly recommend this show. It has been uh, uh, one that we've just been playing in the background, but like has our full attention. Like I don't even want to say background. It's like we have nothing else to do. Put this one on, and we just, we're just fully invested in it. I want to see her do more TV series uh, because I like just following her along for yeah. that much. You know, she's been a big movie star, but I think uh, she's able to carry um, a whole thing with like, her. So it looks like it's an uh, Australian co-production. So she's in her uh, native accent. Hey, yeah, she's in her element for sure. Yeah. So I would highly recommend this one. Like I said, it's a part of Sundance, but you can catch it with AMC+. Plus. Uh, after that, dude, you had put it on your thing last week. I feel we always have this one show that we're going to mention a lot. Other two is done. So we got to start with How To With John Wilson, the final season. Did you see the most recent episode? I actually didn't see how to work out, but I saw everybody talking about it. Look is at it that your, score, bro. Your new favorite one of this season? Look at that score, bro. Ooh, I don't even want to talk about... IMDb? I don't even want to talk about favorites, but for a third episode in your final season, he uh, HBO must be telling people that the third episodes need to go hard. He went above and beyond here, bro. I'm not even going to spoil a thing. Just know that How To With John Wilson is a classic for us. It's going to be at the end of our year list, but to bring it up as a pick for the week for a solo episode, just go watch <laughs> it. I don't even have a picture here. Just go watch this. Zach, he gets into a lot. <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say how to work out over on uh hbo max the lincoln lawyer uh out on netflix i don't know if you ever caught this it's based off of the book series that obviously everybody mm-hmm. knows the movie that stars uh matthew mcconaughey this is a new one uh like a new take on it it's on season two almost three because they split season two into two parts um mm-hmm. i think it's a really good procedural i feel like this is something that would have played on like usa network yeah back in the day very suits core Oh, 100%. And Suits just did numbers appearing on Netflix mm-hmm. this past week. And uh, I think this had a little bit of that boost as well. Um, they just wrapped part two. I think they're still going to be doing a season three. But I-, I think it's a decent show to catch if you are interested in a nice lawyer procedural of a dude who, like, knows how to play by the book. But damn, does he bend it every which way that he can. So The Lincoln Lawyer out on Netflix as a series. 
And then a final one was one that I recommended over at Tribeca. It is now on Showtime, should be on Paramount+. Plus. The documentary, All Up in the Biz. It comes from Sasha Jenkins, who I feel is one of the best profilers right now in music. Louis Armstrong, Black and Blues over on Apple TV+. Plus. Fantastic. The Wu-Tang uh, of Mike's and Men, which I think is on Hulu. Incredible. And this is one of my favorite ones. Bitch in the Sound and Fury of Rick James. I want to say this is on Showtime. Yeah, it's on Showtime. If this man does a music profile, you're going to get the best of the best because he is not afraid to get into the nitty-gritty, the good, the bad, the ugly. And he continues that with All Up in the Biz all the way to an after credit. I don't even want to call it a scene. It's an announcement. So mm-hmm. put this one on your radar. It is uh, going through the life of Biz Marquee. So those are my picks for this week. Zach, what do you got? I'm definitely curious to catch up with All Up in the Biz. All right, my picks for the week. Let's start with a show that we both really loved in its first season, returning for season two in a way that uh, I wasn't sure we were going to get because they teased us about jumping forward in time. They teased us about maybe doing different types of uh, sports or teams. But we're back with the Lakers in the 80s on Winning Time Season 2, continuing the story from Season 1, which is great because I thought they arrived at a really... A great collection of actors playing iconic characters of a of a scenery that was really fun, mixing the uh, sports, the the flash of the sports world with the sexiness of like the Lakers Showtime Dynasty. It, it's just like a for me, this is a show that is like pure overstimulation. I don't know if like it's necessarily the most crisply or accurately written show or uh, the show that is like most intelligently structured, but it's so good at just delivering like fun moments and like interesting people doing interesting things. The cast is absolutely stacked. A lot of them playing iconic real life figures and it's stylistically just so overwhelming. It's got that changing film stocks thing that they did in the first season. The camera always moving cuts interjecting uh, in between scenes. The intercutting on the show is absolutely ridiculous. I just find it to be like one of the most enjoyable uh, shows for me personally, partially because I am like a, a big sports geek and partially because it's just like a really entertaining hour on television. Not really sure why HBO is so like under promoting this year. It kind of feels like they're just sort of leaving it out there without much, uh, much hype. Um, but I'm really enjoying the return so far. Um, they actually brought on uh, our boy, me, for me, Earl, and the dying girl in the second <laughs> season. Uh, but yeah, uh, I don't know if you've gone back to winning time yet. I know you really enjoyed season one. Yeah, I think season one was fantastic, and they shot themselves in the foot with the Emmys because they didn't know if it was an anthology series, if it was a drama. Mm-hmm. Ended up getting zilch, which you and I thought was dumb. Like, yeah. at, like, makes no sense to not honor. It needs honor. something. Yeah, and your TV award uh, series, one of the biggest series out there. But, yeah, I caught the, the, the first half of the episode, I want to say last night, uh, when I was watching it. Um, <laughs> dude, the intercutting. I, there's this bit in succession where I feel they got really used to the camera. Mm-hmm. These people went from season one to two. The jump that they did in succession from season one to four. They got real comfortable <laughs> really fast. <laughs> Overstimulation is putting it lightly, but I would yeah. also recommend this one a lot. 
All right, so if if Winning Time is a little overstimulating Tell to you, there me. is another show on Max that I think y'all need to check out. Uh, Telemarketers. I think this is a three part docu-series that is mm-hmm. uh, only one episode available now. It's new episodes every Sunday. And mm-hmm. it looks at this telemarketing uh, scam industry, a whole, a whole uh, underworld of sorts. Do you remember, this was like a thing in my area growing up, and the documentary actually starts out in New Jersey, which makes sense, but like people who would have yeah, like like a- stickers for their cars and it's like oh if you put the sticker on your car the cops won't bother you it's like what what kind of absurd bullshit is that but that was like a a thing they were raising this money through telemarketing to try and like uh sell stickers for the fraternal order of police basically uh pretending they were fundraising for charitable endeavors particularly police organizations and like that just to end up pocketing their own money um, Wait, so the sticker doesn't work? I mean, I, I wish. I, I wouldn't have gotten uh, the speeding <laughs> ticket back in tw- uh, 2006. But um, I-, I think the documentary itself has this kind of really cool personal approach because it's from one of the people who grew up working as a telemarketer there. And he's got this sort of gonzo style. You know, it's not uh, it's not the Netflix overproduced sort of documentary. It's very handheld, very, like, stitched together. Uh, I think the Safties are credited as producers. See that? And that sort of griminess and yeah. energy that they bring into their films, you feel it a lot from this documentary. It's really, really fun. The collection of personalities that are being interviewed also make this just that much more dynamic dynamic and it feels like they're really uncovering a really interesting underworld so i was gripped by that first episode i cannot wait for the next two uh over on hbo and on max so i'll be continuing to check out hill marketers and maybe we can return to this discussion in a couple weeks when the series wraps up yeah i'm gonna have to hop on this i I had seen the safties and danny mcbride uh be pushed with this the poster Mm -hmm. reminded me of mcmillions and uh right similar feeling and I truly think HBO, out of all of these like uh, docu series that are split into the two three parts, they handle it the best. So nice, I have that one on my radar. Nice. Uh, I got to catch a film that I know you saw at Sundance earlier this year. It is a documentary that was one of the winners out of Sundance, The Eternal Memory, a really beautiful film uh, that comes from director Maite Alberdi uh, that takes a look at this. Elder Chilean couple navigating life after one of them is diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And, you know, it's a just really intimate look into what it's like to age as a couple, what it's like to watch a loved one sort of slowly lose the life that illuminated them and and what it's like dealing with that sort of end of life type of care it's really beautiful and really personal but i think it also transcends all of that to go to another level through the way that uh maite alberti is able to incorporate archival footage able to incorporate the story of what the country of Chile was going through at the time, making the personal political in a really, really profound way. Uh, you know, the, the couple that are being profiled, Augusto Gongora uh, is a former journalist and Paulina Rutia is a uh, actress. So both of them have plenty of video archives to pull from, which also lets them tell a fuller story. Um, but, 
you know, they use that particularly in the end in this way that is so transcendent, transcendent and beautiful that I, I would find it hard to imagine walking away from this documentary being anything but completely moved. So uh, The Eternal Memory, I think that it is going to be a major contender in the year-end documentary races. I would not be surprised to see it get shortlisted either for the Best Documentary Oscar or maybe even a foreign film Oscar uh, coming from Chile. Really, really enjoyed this, or maybe enjoyed the wrong one. Really, really appreciated this one. Uh, and if it's playing near you, I'd highly recommend checking it out. Uh, the director previously did The Mole Agent, which did pretty yeah. well at Great the Oscars. And I remember when you went to go see it, I told you, I was like, uh, Chile? Just Chile, shortlisted yeah. it. But they always go with the boy, Pablo, who has his own movie coming out. Mm-hmm. But he is producer on this. So it's like this he really is. interesting, it's going to come down to the wire. You know, if only they could do multiples, but, you know, they can't because that's not, the, I guess, the way the world works. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. What's his movie that's coming up? I know it's going to be at TIFF. Oh, shoot. I forget the name of it. But oh. isn't it like a... El Conde. Yeah, there we go. So we'll see. It's going to be between the uh, one you just mentioned. This one looks beautiful too, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll see. We'll see which way they take it. That's a good right, pick. Uh, I'm also going to give a shout-out to a classic film that I love, and I'm, I would be surprised to hear that you don't love it as well. It kind of uh, sucks. Old Boy. <laughs> the, the Chen Wook Park classic tale of revenge, maybe the best film in that revenge trilogy that he did. Um, just one of the iconic bits of Korean cinema, imported Korean cinema. I feel like particularly like in an era when fewer people were paying attention to what was happening in Asian cinema, at least in this country, it's one of those films that still was able to break through because it is so like undeniably like amazing. Uh, just a, piece of film that you cannot turn away from and neon acquired it for a restoration it's going to be back in theaters a new 4k beautiful cut i am very excited to check that one out i've never seen it on the big screen i've only oh. uh been able only to see 2013? it 2013 <laughs> oh man I, I skipped the 2013 one. Damn, my dumb self would to go see that in theaters I'm like, <laughs> what's going on yeah no not the same as from what i've heard not the same. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely give a uh, shout out to Old Boy. I'm curious to uh, see that one as well, especially given like kind of feels like a weak little slump for theatrical releases. So I don't well, mind checking Blue out Beetle, a classic. Blue Beetle's taking everything, you know. Yeah. I, I will. I will say the shout out to Old Boy because it is a classic. Um, two movies this year that I know have have referenced it: the um, hallway fight scene in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume yep. Three. Straight up said, yeah, I wanted it. I've been waiting all my life to put something in there, uh, said Gunn, mm-hmm. and he finally did. And then most recently, Mutant Mayhem, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yeah. movie, uh, one of the fight sequences that they had with a bunch of people, the directors came out and said, yes, that was our homage to Old Boy. Yeah, there's kind of like almost like a side-scrolly moment that looks like so, a, the hallway right? fight. Yeah. So a lot of people's favorite movies of this year, still quoting Old Boy. Mm-hmm. Great movie. Um, but my last pick for the week is a festival rather than a movie itself, the Central Park Conservancy Festival. I know we've got a decent chunk of inner cuties in the New York area. And if you are in the mood to see a movie outdoors, I think the Central Park Conservancy film, yeah, a free film festival that is pretty cool. Like the whole, the festival is built around the idea of, uh, conservation and protecting nature and the films that they tend to race have that theme as well. Uh, 
last year the movie that I caught there, maybe a little bit less so, but it, it's uh, the rescue. Get the pillow. And that, yeah, exactly. Where's my pillow? Where's my? I, I don't even know where I put my pillow. It's over there, actually. Uh, but yeah, uh, they they played the documentary The Rescue, which uh, comes from here. Caitlin brought it to me. There we go. Boom. Hey, I, what a rescue! I, I, I don't know if I should be advertising this while promoting the festival because I did steal this, but, uh, but reportedly, play, allegedly, supposedly, <laughs> they uh, did the. It's the documentary from Elizabeth Chai uh, Vasarheli and Jimmy Chin, who previously had done Free Solo. They're back again this year. Oh, really? Uh, with wildlife. The, with wildlife, yeah, they'll be playing that film there as well. Uh, Alex Hanold, who has also uh, been to the festival a couple times, will be back with his film Arctic Ascent, and they're playing the space race as well as We Feed People, uh, which was that oh, Jose Andres documentary that I liked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's Looks just cool. a, a cool idea for a festival, a chance to go watch a movie in Central Park on the big screen. Uh, I would recommend it. The films usually start as soon as uh, the sun is finished setting. So, yeah, if you're in the New York area this week, give it a ch- give it a, a click. I don't know. Check it out. Dogs, no dogs. Uh, I've, I think there were some dogs last year, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't I wouldn't. Uh, just go without checking the website. Maybe, maybe look air, into that. I'm going to airplay strays. I'm going to get a camp quality there strays. There you That'd go. That'd be great. Uh, but out of all of our picks for this week, I had the independent little movie Brother with some really good performances to have on your radar in case you are curious and checking that out. Uh, if you're at home and you have AMC+, Plus, does anyone... Does anyone have AMC Plus? If you do, they have a really good series called Totally Completely Fine uh, that I would highly recommend. Uh, I have one episode recommendation here, and that's How to Work Out from How To with John Wilson. Always. It has been a series that has been on our, uh, on our top list every single year, and this is a standout episode. So do yourself a favor and catch up on it. Uh, the Lincoln Lawyer over on Netflix, if in case you wanted a good procedural after finishing all of Suits. And then All Up in the Biz, a documentary about Biz Marquee that I found to be really, really good over on Showtime. Very cool. Uh, my recommendations for picks for the week. I had Winning Time, which is back for season two, the flashy, perhaps overstimulating basketball series on Max as well as HBO. Back with uh, TV. Yeah, more TV. Speaking of which, telemarketers still on Max, yeah. the docu series t- looking at the underbelly of the telemarketing industry with kind of like a Gonzo, uh, Safdie Brothers inspired direction. I- I- I'm enjoying it. Check that one out as well. I'm curious. The Eternal Memory, a beautiful th- documentary in theaters about aging and eternal love. I think it's one of the most powerful films of the year, and I think it'll be in contention for some documentary awards later this year. Old Boy, uh, the restoration, the 4K cut, the Chenwook Park classic revenge story. If you've never had a chance to see it on the big screen, you do now. Check that one out. And if you're in the New York area, watch some outdoorsy-inspired films at the Central Park Conservancy Film Festival, a beautiful festival and the heart of Manhattan. We should do that. Uh, I'll bring my uh, projector. I'll get one of those blow-up screens from Amazon, and we'll have our own film festival. In the middle of the New York Film Festival, we'll compete with them. I'm sure that won't be an issue at all. (laughs) We definitely won't get bothered. (laughs) Easily. Uh, But that's pretty much everything for this week's show. Uh, You can find me over at LME Movies and all the social media. Zach, where can people find you? You can find me at Zshevich, that's Z-S-H-E-V-I-C-H, or find my YouTube and TikTok channels at Multiplex Show. 
you can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast here on YouTube.com or on your favorite podcatcher from iTunes, Anchor, which I just found out is Spotify. Spotify yeah. has uh, been pushing a lot of different podcasts. So in case you do listen on the go, that has been one thing that we've been pushing uh, in terms of uh, being able to get it out there. The they allow you to maybe download some of the stuff. It also really helps out the podcast because as much as we're always pushing for that five-star review over on Apple uh, Podcasts, leave the leave the reviews on Apple Podcasts, listen on, on the Spotify app. Yeah, you can do reviews on Spotify as well. And, and also video. Our videos are being uploaded to Spotify too. I don't know if people actually watch videos on Spotify, but they're I there. I don't know, right? Because I know that's one thing we've heard from the Intercuties is this idea of like some people prefer Twitch over YouTube. Maybe some people prefer Spotify. So there's a lot of other options out there in terms of how you can listen to the Intercut podcast. But again, you can catch the live video every week here on YouTube.com where we go through the weekend must watch. A big shout out to all the Intercuties who listen live, all of the patrons who are going to be doing the Patreon live stream right now. Now, damn it. If you're not on the page right now, you're going to miss the link. Uh, Again, thank you to everyone who leaves us the five stars over on Apple because that is uh, allowing us to be able to get more screenings. Yeah. um, We're still after 250 of those five star reviews. We're still looking there. Yeah, maybe when you get the, we'll do that Central Park Intercut Film Festival together. And we'll, we'll put your names up there for every little five-star review that we get. Uh, yeah. Don't forget to leave us a like, comment, uh, follow all the socials at Intercut Pod. And until next time, keep watching movies. Maybe one day PlayStation will adapt you. <laughs>